This show is about your mental health. While it's supported by the pillars of positivity and hope, if you find yourself in crisis, please reach out for help. In many communities in both the United States and Canada, you can dial 211 to be connected to mental health and crisis services in your region. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. Suicide. A lot more people are thinking about it. A lot more people are taking their own lives, in fact. So why aren't a lot more of us talking about it? Is it because it's uncomfortable? Something that brings shame or maybe worry talking about it will be the tipping point for someone who is thinking about suicide. That's been proven wrong, by the way. Well, we need to have this uncomfortable conversation. Suicide. Let's talk about it right now on The Happy Molecule. Jake Beers was making a name for himself in the music scene with his band Home Sweet Home from Aurelia, Ontario. We got a lot of people in a small town. Got them peeping on my wall now. It's a freaking weekend. Can we fall down? We all In the winter of 2014, Jake's dad died in a snowmobile accident. No one could have imagined just how painful this would become for young Jake. In fact, his cries for help were right there for all of us to hear. Here's an open letter to myself. I never find the nerve to ask for help, no I only leave the house unless I have to And it's probably why you never stuck around I'm sorry that I always let you down After one suicide attempt, his mother tried to find counseling for her son. Then on December 1st, 2019, his mom, who brought Jake's life into this world, found her son's lifeless body in his bedroom. He was just six days shy of his 25th birthday. Have you ever had your mother in your arms, crying for the husband that she lost? Suicide is not a spur-of-the-moment idea. Usually there's some build-up during which time. Often there are calls for help, calls that can be blatant or very abstract. In most cases, those left behind wonder why they didn't hear those calls and what they could have done better. Sakina Rizvi is a researcher with a suicide and prevention studies program at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. She and her team have just started a study that will dive right into the neurobiology of those contemplating suicide. You work with mental health in particular right now. What are you doing? So the research that I do at Unity Health Toronto in the Arthur Summer-Rotenberg Suicide and Depression Studies program is really looking at the neurobiology around suicide risk and depression and also looking at how we can use that information to develop new treatments and also just to develop new treatments for, uh, to support people more. So that's the focus of my research at the moment. The latest numbers are, uh, we average about 4,000 deaths by suicide a year. That uh, translates to about 11 and a half deaths per thousand in Canada, a little bit higher in, uh, in the US. So we are seeing an increase here because of COVID? So it's, it's 11 and a half or 100,000. And um, there's a, a projected increase. We don't have the data yet. So there's other researchers uh, across Canada who are going to be collecting this data. So 2020 is not done yet. So they don't have the stats yet. But um, the Canadian Mental Health Commission in connection with the University of British Columbia did do a survey of 3,000 people across Canada and found that there was 
uh, a doubling really of um, the level of suicidal thoughts that people have been having. It's definitely more increased in people who have actually had to quarantine. So it's even higher in, in, in those individuals, which makes sense because that isolation um, is really a predictor for, for suicidal thoughts. So, and I think also with the unemployment rates that we're seeing, uh, there's also a projected increase in suicides related to that. So it's clear that something really needs to be done to help people get through this hump because COVID's not going to be here forever. So how can we really mobilize people to support themselves more when there's lack of access to services and, um, uh, and lack of access to community as much as we had before? And there's ways to do that. I want to get into those ways in, in a few minutes, but I want to talk about suicidal thoughts. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about suicidal thoughts. What exact, how, how would you define them? Yeah. So they can be more passive from, I don't feel like life's worth living to very, very active. Like I have a plan to kill myself tomorrow. So it can range. It's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not just one thing. So it can range in intensity. So it's something that people can be mindful of. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily actually mean that just because someone has really severe suicidal thoughts that they're going to be more at risk for actually dying by suicide. Um, so that's also something to know that it's, it's something that we have to take seriously, no matter what, if someone's saying, I don't feel like life's worth living, take it seriously. Let's talk about our, ourselves personally to, be, to begin with. So if you have thoughts so, uh, you know, things are going particularly bad this month or, or something. And you just say, you know what, maybe it's just time. How serious should you take that yourself if, if your mind starts going towards that direction? I think that it should be taken seriously in the fact that what that means is that there's something that you're feeling that is really overwhelming and feels intolerable. What is it? So now we can try to start to drill down. Okay, well, life feels like it's not worth living. I feel like maybe this is, uh, you know, suicide is an option for me. Suicide's a behavior. What are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Right? You're not feeling suicidal. So is it the case that, you know, you're feeling lonely and that feels intolerable? Is it the case that you're feeling really sad or anxious and that feels intolerable? Are you feeling all those things at once? And is that intolerable? Once you can start to identify what is actually happening, then you have a lot more room to decide how you want to deal with it. Because if you're feeling sad, you're going to deal with that in a different way than if you're feeling angry. So it's, it's about trying to kind of get at that, you know, emotional precision, if you will, um, which also really helps to slow things down. When we're in this emotional salad spinner, right, it's so easy to move from emotion, reaction, right, without any sort of awareness, And so we can bring a stop to that and slowing things down, being curious about what is it, what's true for me right now? What am I really feeling? What feels so bad? So then we can, that in and of itself can help to reduce certain levels. of. So essentially, you know, what we tell people Mm -hmm. about their own mental health, about dealing with depression, same thing, you know, Mm -hmm. as soon as you start feeling these thoughts, try and label them, try and, and identify them. Yes. Absolutely. So that's what you know, we were talking earlier before, before the podcast about emotional literacy and developing that is so important. And for some people, maybe words don't work really well. So maybe you want to work with colors, colors in a, in a rainbow or a painting or 
whatever means something to you, you could do it by sounds, like whatever you can kind of help kind of scale. Um, and you can use that to help identify what you're feeling. I like, right? I like that idea so, of doing it by sounds. Heck, you could even pick out songs that sort of, that sort of describe yeah, what you're feeling. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that we don't um, take into account that, oh, if I can't name it, I don't know. There's other ways to know things right? There's other ways we can get information. And sometimes if we don't know this one way, then, you know, we'll judge ourselves and shame ourselves for not being able to do that. But there's other ways and and not everyone's the same. I remember in taking some crisis council training that we talked about people having suicidal thoughts, people sort of going a little bit further and planning a time and a place and and a date, you know, people then getting the means by which they they want to do it. So, I mean, there's different levels that you go through. What's happening there as things worsen? Is there, is there an original cry for help that maybe we're missing? I think the cry for help that we're missing is that we're not asking. How do you right? ask that? The question's not even being asked. Do you feel like you want to kill yourself? Just like that. Do you feel suicidal? Are, 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 you, are you having suicidal thoughts? There's no research to indicate that if you ask that question, it's going to increase a person's risk. There's nothing to suggest that. It's just a scary thing for people to say. So that's your stuff, <laughs> right? Yeah. That you have to kind of work through. But that person, it is so helpful to now be like, oh, I can say the word. I don't have to be afraid of the word. And someone's coming to help me there in that space where I need to be helped. Help, help me out right. here in, in a person's thought process, because so much is said about mm-hmm. someone who takes their life by suicide. Oh, that was the lazy way out or what a coward or any, anything like that. What is going through the mind of someone who feels that this is the only alternative? And do they feel that? Do they, do they feel this is the only alternative and how difficult a choice and a decision is it? Imagine the worst intense pain that you feel like you've mm-hmm. ever felt. Imagine feeling that every single day. Imagine that the people that you talk to don't want to hear about it. There's nowhere for you to really talk about it and to express it and explore it. And it is even actually maybe even hard for you to understand. Like, what is, what is all this? What is like, what is it that I'm feeling? So I, I, I think it's really important that we recognize that when a person's having suicidal thoughts, it's reflective of a very deep pain that is happening inside. We call it psychological pain or psychic uh, and it's interesting because it, it's qualitatively yeah, different. And you know what? That is something I've actually had, that psych ache where it yeah. feels so painful. However, there is no hope. You, you keep saying to yourself, there's no hope for relief. You know, if I had a headache or or that, I could I could take a Tylenol. If I if I had severe pain, I could take morphine, anything like that. You know, it and and so with psych ache, it really is something that can be so overwhelming what do we do what can we do to to, to just open the relief valve a bit yep one noticing Mm -hmm. the pain that you're in right 
so often I think we try to pack things down. We try to distract ourselves and not notice what we're actually going through, noticing what you're going through. You talked about the, the emotional literacy. Um, and it's, it's interesting because uh, whenever I do public talks on, on suicide risk, afterwards I'll have people come up to me and be like, when you said that word psychic, mm -hmm. these are individuals who've, been, who've experienced suicidal thoughts. Like, that's it. That's the word I've been looking for. Psychic. Right? Yeah, that, 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 that's, it, it describes and it. You're right. There, there's a hopelessness to it. And it, to me, it's like, is, is that suicide is not about wanting to die. It's not knowing how oh. to live, especially with that extreme amount of pain. Wow. And so it's tough. And of course, you don't feel like, what do I do? I can't, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this. It does feel hopeless. And when you're in that level of distress, on the, on the neurobiology side, that front of your brain is now tapped out, right? It's not, it's not working as well. So problem solving is going to be down. Emotion regulation is going to be down. Um, understick, working with accurate information is going to be down, right? Because all those automatic thoughts that you might have, like I'm useless and this and that, are going to be a lot harder to challenge when you're in that emotional salad spinner. So it's really easy to see how when someone gets to that point, they feel like there's going to no pause here for a bit right. because I want to assure anybody out there who's listening, who, who has felt psychic, maybe feeling psychic now, maybe having suicidal thoughts. I, I, I'm hoping that you just take a breath with us right now and just pause and know, I mean, for one thing, Knowing you're not alone in this kind of feeling and knowing that there is indeed help, even if you don't think there is. Absolutely. That there is a way out, right? That that is, you know, we've seen people, you know, in our program, like, you know, forget kind of being at the edge. They've fallen over the edge and have been able to come back from that. Right. It's I'm not saying that it's easy. Right. We really need to validate how hard that is. But there's a possibility there. Right. And then if you can engage with the possibility of choosing to live or choosing not to die right now, then all of a sudden there might be a little bit more space, a little bit more headspace to be able to think of all the things you can do to keep yourself safe in that moment that maybe you didn't have access to before. And there are crisis lines uh, all over. There, you can Google them so easily. Uh, I always suggest to... Yep, Crisis Service yeah. Canada. I think it's one 456 4566 And you can also text yeah. them. So if you don't feel like talking to anyone, you can text There's them. Kids Help Phone. Um, there there is uh, CMHA. There's CAMH. Uh, there are a number. Um, I also suggest to people that uh, 211 is a service that is in both Canada and the United States in which you can call and say, listen, I need some mental health help. Who do I talk to? And they will help with different resources. Um, there's work right now, I'm told. In fact, some states already have this, of uh, a separate number for um, a suicide helpline similar to 911. And that, so that's, that's what I actually, like the, the, the crisis line that I mentioned is, is, is for more yeah. for suicide risk. And, and, and honestly, but, folks, um, if yeah. I mean, worse comes to worse, call 911. You know, if, if it, if it has gotten so yes. bad and you've got this psychic, that is definitely something worth calling 911. And, and, and police agencies it, it, now are, are, they're rethinking how they respond to these calls. In fact, in a lot of cases, they don't even send 
police officers? In, in some regions, I mean, um, for sure. I think if someone is like, I absolutely am going to harm myself right now and there's no one here to help me, then for sure that that can be um, always an option for you is to, is to call 911 and they'll take you to the closest hospital. Um, I also want to acknowledge that not everyone has a good experience yeah. with that. Um, there are other resources as well that have come out during COVID. Canadian Mental Health Commission has Bounce Back. So if you go to uh, bounceback.ca, it's on the Canadian mm -hmm. Mental Health website. Um, and it includes personal coaching, um, skills building. Um, and then there's Wellness Together, which is across Canada as well. Um, there's also a website called myicbt.ca, which does online cognitive behavioral therapy. So there's resources that you can reach out to, to, to try to support yourself. You might be doing some stuff that's more self-guided, but it's still doable. Okay. So I definitely wanted to get that message out there and that word out there. And, and I hope it gives a lot of people, a, you know, a reason to pause and, and, and just take a breath. I want to talk more now ab about this study that you're doing. This is a pretty pretty intensive study. What is it? Yes. So in response to what we've been seeing during COVID and the lack of access to mental health resources, um, as a group at the ASR, we're like, okay, well, what are we going to do to try to help this? And um, Dr. Yvonne Bergman's my colleague, uh, developed what's called the Skills for Safer Living, uh, which is a 20-week group therapy for high suicide risk that she's been developing for over 20 years. So what we did for the study that we're working on right now that's been funded by the Canadian Institute for Health Research is uh, we've adapted that 20-week therapy into a single 60-minute session that can be delivered in an online mm. format. And it's delivered by a psychotherapist. And really kind of the, the theory around that is kind of what I said before, that once a person can engage with the possibility of choosing to live or to not die right now, that they're better able to engage in those interventions to reduce their risk. And so what we're doing with that is we're trying to see if that intervention, um, which will inc include understanding this, their suicidal crisis, which not a lot of people get to talk about, um, skills building, understanding personal safety, emotional literacy. Uh, and we're going to be doing that over the course of an hour, amongst other things. Uh, and then seeing how over the course of three months, how that reduces suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety, uh, and whether that improves a sense of social Now, there are a number of... Um sites I'm going to give you right now. I'll make sure they're on my website, thehappymolecule.com and the blog, yeah. uh, thehappymolecule.com for all these sites. But you have a website, asrlife.ca slash research. So that's A-S as in Sam, rlife.ca research. Facebook, uh, ASR Suicide and Depression Studies Program. And then finally, Twitter, ASR Life underscore SMH for St. Michael's Hospital. So ASR Life underscore SMH. Again, I know that's a lot to throw at you. Uh, I will make sure it's on, on my, uh, my blog. ASRLife.ca is essentially what you have to remember. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also know that it's, this is a cross Canada study. So no matter where you are, uh, if you've got access to, you know, the internet computer and can, can do the online session, please reach out if you have been having suicidal thoughts and you're over the age of 18. Okay. Now let's talk about the suicidal thoughts and then let's talk about what happens beyond as well. So someone has had some suicidal thoughts and, and the one thing you were saying is let's first of all, stop, pause, identify those thoughts and label those thoughts. What can you do next? 
The next can be one, um, what can you do mm -hmm. for yourself to either help to bring down the salad spinner or who can you reach out to? So the things that people can engage in, like grounding strategies, soothing strategies, or distraction strategies. So grounding is really kind of coming back into the moment. Like if, you, if you're familiar with meditation, you'll understand that concept of grounding. When they say breathe and you, you come, when you're in that emotional salad spinner, it's like you're, you're all over the place. You're not in the present right now. So breathing, um, naming things in the room, uh, counting to a certain number. Um, you can focus on breathing for some people that can be really activating. So an option that I often will give clients is that if you're breathing, just relax your breathing, but maybe focus on your hands or like really kind of feeling yourself strong in the chair, your feet on the floor. So those are grounding strategies, soothing strategies, working with your senses, anything with your senses, whether it's music, um, if you're really into touch, like maybe a soft, something warm or um, if you like smells, you can, I know whether it's aromatherapy or, you know, bake some homemade cookies or something like that. So anything that's working with the senses that you find soothing, I always recommend people to assess how they're feeling, their level of distress before and after these strategies so they can get a sense of how much it's actually helping. Um, and then even playing around with when it helps, maybe this particular strategy helps in the morning, but maybe not so much at night. And that's okay too. But you're really just kind of building your toolbox. So what can I what can I access? Like you mentioned, you know, meditation. That's something that that's one tool in your toolbox. But you can have a ton of tools in your toolbox. There's no limit to that. So just grabbing things. Maybe you feel like singing and you want to use your voice or something like that. Mm -hmm. Take space in the room. So there's a lot of things you can do that will help to reduce um, the level of distress to the point where you might be more in your window of tolerance. Um, which doesn't mean that you're not feeling anything, but that you're able to work with it in the moment. You have a bit more of your, um, your brain and your, your head is online more so. Um, and then like kind of really knowing who you can reach out to when you really need to vent and you have to express these big feelings or be soothed. Like maybe you need to, uh, you know that person in your personal life or maybe you're calling a crisis line. And that person might be different than the person who might help you um, just distract yourself or may help you do more practical things like helping you with the groceries. So these all might not be the same people and you're just kind of knowing what resources that you can really draw on uh, in that moment uh, and kind of having that person maybe on speed dial and uh, you know, being able to maybe even have, tell them like, I've got a code. If I text you SOS, you know that I need your help and you just- Okay, so how do you, okay, like that. Let's, let's look at that person then. How do you talk to someone? How do you help someone who has called and said, SOS, I, I need help? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You ask, what's going on? What do you need? How can I help you? Right? So it's not even like, a, I recently had someone say like uh, a therapist, she was talking about how even asking someone like, are you okay? Can sometimes be a little bit stigmatizing because it makes the person feel like they need mm -hmm. to say they're okay. Right. Which is interesting. I never so what's going that. on, but yeah. how can I help you? So something SOS is like, how can I help? You need help. How yeah. can I help you? What do you, what is it that you need that okay. I can do for you right now? And also kind of knowing that that person, if they're in that salad spinner might not know what that, the answer to that is. So sometimes it's good to have those conversations when someone's not as distressed to say, okay, when you're feeling that, what is it that you find that is helpful so that I know I can just help mm -hmm. you do it? without you even having to ask for it. 
Um, and then, so having those conversations about what you need are so important and um, knowing um, again, that people have different skill sets. So if you're someone that like, you know what, I don't really feel like I'm, I'm comfortable talking about all the feelings, but I'm really good at helping you get stuff done. Right. Hey, that's amazing. Right. If you can help someone with groceries, get to the pharmacy and get their meds or something, those are really big things for someone who's feeling distressed and feels like they just can't get those things done. So it's still a big help. Um, just being with someone, we really, um, without fixing it, uh, we really underestimate the power of that. Um, as therapists, a lot of times, it, it's the being with someone in pain that makes them feel seen. Like finally someone sees me, they, sees, they see the pain I'm in and they're not running yeah, away. I mean, it- I mean, I've sat with yeah. a psychiatrist, you know, for an hour or two at times, and you realize at the end of the session that that psychiatrist has said very little, and you've done all the talking. <laughs> yet for some reason, I'm paying that person, but but there, there's 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 reason there. I mean, there, there's a reason for that. Yes, yes, absolutely. There's there's such a big it 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 does alleviate so much, and I think that that's why our distress center crisis lines work so well is because someone's just there to listen well, to and, and this, you know, I just got this thought, um, uh, you know, uh, it just hit me. We know what we need. We know what the answers are some, but it's buried sometimes some so deep inside of us that we need to draw it out. Mm-hmm. But essentially when you go to a psychiatrist, when you go to a therapist of any kind, they're trying to draw you out to come up with your own solution. So the solution is there. So helping someone find that solution by just listening does a world of good. It does a world of good. And also like what, you know, what therapists and psychiatrists will be doing will be directing the conversation. They know where it's going, (laughs) right? And they're directing you to that solution without, you know, a good therapist isn't going to be giving you the solutions. You got to come up with those yourself, but they're giving you, they're helping you develop the skill set to listen to that voice that might have been so weighed down by all these opinions of yourself or expectations or unwritten rules that all of a sudden it's like that voice just becomes so, 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 so quiet. Right. And then there's, and then, so if you start to listen to it a little bit more, a little bit more, it'll start to become louder and louder. All right. I'm going to, I want to talk about two very different demographics right now. One, seniors, the other students. So let's start with students. We have very sadly seen an increase in the number of, of students who have had suicidal thoughts and, and, and who have taken their lives by suicide. And folks, by the way, I always try and take this, this time to educate whenever possible, you don't commit suicide. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. And, and I'm going to let you explain uh, why. Yes. So the idea of like committing suicide came from it being an illegal act. Um, and it's something that it's a person dies by suicide. They're not committing to anything. It's not a successful suicide or successful suicide attempt. There's no success in that. Yeah. You wouldn't say, um, so you wouldn't the, say, like, you know, committed drowning uh, that. Yeah. So no, no, no. So a person will have, has died by suicide. They have made a suicide attempt um, that's the languaging mm-hmm. that we use that we're that we're trying to help to destigmatize. So destigmatizing is is paramount in in mental health, uh, very much so. So anything we can do to 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 do that. Uh, let's talk about students. 
right now. And, mm-hmm. and again, I need to try and, and stop people from saying things like, oh my gosh, you know, teenage angst. We had it when we were kids. It was tough. no things are they honestly are different. Now the, the amount of knowledge that we have to learn and unlearn has grown exponentially. The social media pressure and peer pressure has never been greater. We are, we are exposing our young people to so much that we were never exposed to, and we're not giving them the tools to handle it. Yes, absolutely. I think our youth today are dealing with a level of responsibility. Even social media to me is a huge responsibility, right? Because there's a lot of potential deleterious mental health effects that can come from that. And that's a whole other conversation that we can have, but um, they are dealing with a lot and, um, it's too much, right? Sometimes it's just too much. But there's always that pressure to do more and more and more from the societal or maybe even familiar perspective. But I mean, youth in youth, suicide is the second leading cause of death, right? Yeah. That's not okay. That's not okay. We can do better. And yeah, people talk about teenage angst, but regardless of what generation you came from, if someone's feeling like depression or bipolar disorder, or schizophrenia, or they're feeling um, and, you know, they're having suicidal thoughts, that's completely different, <laughs> right? That's, that's not angst. This is someone, again, who's in an immense amount of pain. And the more we ignore it, the more it's going to get worse, right? So we do need to look at it, in a, again, with seniors and, and the level of isolation that they've been experiencing during COVID. Um, it, it's just getting worse, right? Because we're not asking the questions and we're not building the communities that we need to really support each other. Um, okay. Seniors is something that we, we, we hear a lot of talk about students right now and young people. We don't hear a lot about seniors and mental health. Which is unfortunate because I mean, suicide rates um, in the elderly can be quite high. I think, I think in the, uh, in seniors, I think it's maybe the 13th leading cause of death. Um, so that's not nothing. Yeah. Right. And I think that there's times where it can approach, like if you think of the national average as being around 11 and a half, or it can be pushing towards 20 for 100,000. So um, while like, I think suicide rates in Canada, at least specifically in Canada are, are typically are still higher in middle to, to later age. Um, it's still, it's still could, a big could concern. We, could we almost seniors? expand the definition of suicide for seniors? Because um, it may not be a cataclysmic, taking of of one's life however getting into a a, a feeling of hopelessness in which you have given up i'm going to argue is almost almost a form of taking your life by suicide because you have just you you literally have given up and and stopped taking care of yourself so you know Mm. it's just and again it's something we don't talk about no, not, not nearly enough. And I think it probably goes, again, unasked. How are, how are you doing? What's, what's been, what have you been feeling these days? You know, I'll ask my, my parents that. Like, what's been going on with you? And um, to get a sense of, like, what's, is there something that I need to be concerned about? Right? And I think it's something that should be a question that people get used to asking. Um, and I think, you know, Especially maybe, especially maybe with seniors, like I wonder, and this is just kind of a, a guess that there's also that part of like, you know, as a, as a kid, you're kind of always the kid and the parent's always the parent. 
that maybe there's this perception that parents don't mm. need that kind of help or perception that, you know, they're the superhero, they can do anything or, you know, it's, it's hard to perceive that your parent might. Yeah, and the, and their worries are all over. I mean, they don't have to worry about buying a house or raising children, anything like that. And we sure. sort of take it for granted. I guess they could have nothing, nothing else yeah. to, uh, to worry about. And sadly, yeah. Retirement can be really problematic if you don't plan for it well, right? Can you imagine like having this wonderful career, then all of a sudden stopping and staying at home yeah. and doing nothing? Most of them. You've just you've lost all of your your avenues for positive reinforcement. So people who I've seen do well in retirement have planned for that, mm. and um, have been asking people, "What do you think <laughs> I should do in retirement?" And uh, um, really have taken it on to really try to make sure that they keep their you know, their, their mind sharp and your, your brain has a policy. It's a use it or lose it. If you, if you don't, if you're not using those brain cells, they're just going to go away. That's at any age. So do you have a um, hypothesis for this study, yeah. this current study you're doing? It's called the study on intervention. Uh, do you have a hypothesis? Um, this, the skills for safer live the brief skills yes. for safer living study. Yeah. So the hypothesis is that if we're able to help people understand what their suicide means to them. So finally actually having a, a place to discuss it and really deconstruct it, um, doing some uh, skills building around what you can do when you're feeling distressed and, and increasing some of that emotional literacy, understanding how emotions work and doing some safety planning and understanding what safe means for you, that that will help to reduce levels of suicidal thoughts um, and potentially also levels of depression and anxiety over the course of three months. That's the hypothesis. And we are coming into a very serious time. We're coming into what are, you know, traditionally are the, the winter blahs, January, February. Uh, mm -hmm. There's fewer daylight, uh, less daylight hours. Mm -hmm. uh, Christmas is over. Now we're in the middle of a lockdown. So there's really nothing much, much to do. The bills are coming in. This yeah. can be, this is a time we need to watch yeah. out. What do we watch out for in, in people? Uh, with, sorry, if you just yeah, okay. want to clarify that, uh, with respect to in, in, in having, whether or not they might be having suicidal thoughts or maybe they've made a decision, what, you know, what are the things yeah. we need to watch for? Perhaps some things we may not even have, have considered. So people might not, you might not always know. And that's why the thing is that you need to ask, right? There's some people who are going to be more vocal about it. Uh, and let you know, like, I just don't feel like life's worth living. There's your clue, right? It's not, it's not yeah. even a clue. It's a very direct, uh, it's a very direct response. But for others, they may not let you know. If somebody has really kind of uh, made plans um, or has um, kind of gone a little bit further down that path, like if they're trying to kind of settle up their accounts and kind of things like that, you know, wanting to kind of sort out their will or get their affairs, you, you know, that something might be up for sure. Um, but the key thing is ask, 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 you're not going to know unless you ask. And it's very easy to ask. And the person will um, be grateful yeah. that you did. Yeah. That's the only way to really know is to ask. Um, I think right now I, we've probably covered it already, but we're going to go into the me three. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I think this kind of is a summary of some of the things I was talking about before. So number one, stop slow, be curious about what you're experiencing. You can even say to yourself in the moment, be like, okay, slow down, say it out loud. And just that is going to help you just, whew, okay, I have even 
two percent more availability. I always, in my head I always, Fine, I always great. equate that to being the Kinks philosophy, and that's from from uh, the song Destroyer. Remember, stop, hold up, stay in <laughs> control. You know, so if, if you have to, <laughs> hey, that's there, a good mantra. Go. But, so, so stop. I think yeah. it's essentially very easy. Stop. Yeah, stop and slow down. Be curious about what you're feeling. So we're going to try to move from going from emotion to action to emotion to thought, which now gives you conscious awareness to act, right? With the emotion to, to action, there's no conscious awareness there. Um, so slowing down and being curious really helps with that. So next step. What are the things that can help you either feel safer or lower the intensity of what you're feeling? So that's when we're talking about the grounding, soothing, distraction strategies. Be creative. Um, I'm finding that during COVID, people are needing to develop new coping strategies um, that they, you know, maybe the old ones aren't working right now. And that's fine. I took up singing lessons, for example. <laughs> and it's been great to just use my voice. And it just helps on those days when you're feeling kind of blah. Um, so get creative, you know, reconnect with that five-year-old self who can kind of, you know, you can just bring some play into it as well. Like feel free to do that. Um, and then again, um, knowing your resources, knowing your social resources, who can you reach out to when you're feeling distressed and you need to be sued or express your feelings versus someone who's going to help, uh, distract you or, or help you do the practical thing. So know those, know, know that social network. And I think one of the important thing is, and we talk about the stigma is, don't be embarrassed. Don't feel silly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know it's, of course, it's easy for us yeah. to say that. The fact is that people do. And it's because of, you know, societal yeah. rules or unwritten rules that people have. There is nothing shameful about the way that you feel, right? Emotions are completely allowed, no matter what it is. I, I don't even like the idea of people saying this is a bad emotion or a good emotion. All emotion is doing is helping you let you know what needs attention, right? So it's either uncomfortable maybe or comfortable for sure, but yeah. it's not good or bad. It's all, it's, it's all helpful for you to know what needs attention. So um, I like to kind of think that, about it from that's that That's really powerful what, what you said, that, you know, you shouldn't feel embarrassed to have a suicidal thought or that you're bad or it's a bad thought or, or, or anything no. like that. It is... Yeah. It's, it's coming, coming from it's, somewhere it's, that, yeah. that, yeah, it's coming from somewhere and that's okay. Let's figure out what so that you, is. Right? You can't be can embarrassed about how, oh, I'm embarrassed. I have a headache. I don't know where it came from, but I'm so embarrassed. No, you don't say that. I've got a headache. It's hurting. I want to know where, no. where it came from. So, so yes, like this, yeah. wow, that, that is really powerful. You are allowed to have thoughts. You are allowed to have your mm. own emotions and your own feelings. Yes. You're allowed to have feelings and you may have people in your life that told you that you couldn't, but they're wrong. And that's their stuff. You are allowed. Um, the study, when do you, when do you complete the study? Uh, we have a year to complete the study. So we just started recruiting in November. So this month. Uh, and so we'll continue into next year. So hopefully we will be done 
uh, by August. So once again, if you want to know some more, you want to maybe express some of your thoughts and maybe some of your stories, uh, asrlife.ca slash research, asrlife.ca slash research, or follow on Facebook, ASR Suicide and Depression Studies Program, and Twitter, asrlife underscore SMH. I will put all of that into uh, my blog on the website, thehappymolecule.com. Uh, Sakina, um, incredible. You yourself have, uh, have made a life out of not just studying suicide, but, but mental health and depression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it's something that's so important. I, and, and I just, I, I could see from a very young age that there was just not a lot of discussion or supports for people, like even as a teenager and, you know, you're going through your own stuff and it just, there was no outlet. And it's like, this isn't okay. We yeah. can do better. We can do better. And I just kind of want to leave people with the fact that, you know, with the pandemic and the fatigue and the demotivation that we're going through, you are so not alone in that. This is very widespread. So many people are going through the same thing. And even if you can't access the same things that you could before, the friends you could before, the services you could before, there are things that you can do to help yourself in the moment. There are things that you can do. So much information out there. There are things that you can choose to do. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sakina Erzvi, thank you so much for this. Uh, Really interesting. You're welcome. Last month, the Canadian House of Commons unanimously agreed to create 988, an easily remembered number for suicide prevention already in use in some jurisdictions. Hopefully that will become reality sooner rather than later. Meantime, Jake Beer's friends and family have raised more than $20,000 in his memory for a local youth shelter to be used to help recognize and answer calls for help. Next episode, I speak with a man who at one time was himself perched on the side of a bridge and now makes it his life's work to bring people back from that edge. My friends, I've never meant this more than I do right now. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode. Be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook Live show, and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Erin Davis, wishing you good mental health.